Blog Talk Radio. Swing in a man! One more time to fight! Watch it fly! Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever the case may be. Welcome to the Bless You Boys podcast for Saturday, April the 25th, 2015. I'm your host, Hook Slide, ready to recap another week's worth of Tiger baseball with you. For our first-time listeners, the Bless You Boys podcast is a feature of the Bless You Boys website. That's SB Nation's Detroit Tigers blog. You can find us online at www.blessyouboys.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Bless You Boys and like us on Facebook. If you just search for Bless You Boys, you will find lots of great content for your newsfeed. Well, we're doing things a little bit different this week. We're actually recording this episode on Thursday night for scheduling reasons, but we will be back to our regular live format next Saturday. And joining me for this installment of the podcast is Max Reaper, the managing editor of Royals Review. That's SB Nation's Kansas City Royals blog. Max was kind enough to have me on the Royals Review podcast earlier this week, and with the Tigers facing the Royals this coming week, we thought it would be fun to compare notes on the two teams and find out what's going on in Kansas City. Max, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. I'm always uh, eager to talk about baseball. Especially Royals baseball, I assume. Especially when they're winning. <laughs> I mean, there's been a couple <laughs> years where maybe I didn't want to talk about them so much, but the last year and a half, I think, has been a lot of fun to talk about. I know of what you speak. And uh, also joining me for this episode is our own managing editor at Bless You Boys, Rob Jackie. Rob, how are things going? Well, they were better about 10 minutes ago, but the Red Wings just lost in overtime. So uh, we'll see how this goes. Oh, does that mean they're they're out? No, they're still in it, but they, uh, they choked away a, a 2-0 lead. So a lot like the Tigers' bullpen. <laughs> And now we're getting ahead of ourselves. Oh, boy. So maybe next time we'll talk about the Red Wings uh, in connection with the Tigers. But first, let's talk uh, a little bit about the Royals. Max, um, the Royals are off to an absolutely hot, hot start. And obviously, Tigers fans are watching with a rather keen eye. Inquiring minds want to know, what is the secret of the Royals' success this season? And is it sustainable? And are they better than you and everyone else thought? I think we came into the season knowing that they would have the good defense that they had last year and that they would have the good bullpen that they had last year. And I think those those two things were kind of security blankets we could count on. Uh, what we didn't know was how the offense would, would respond this year. And the offense wasn't very good last year. I mean, they were ninth in the league in runs scored. They really struggled to score at times. They fired their hitting instructor midway through the year. Uh, and they had a lot of guys that just had down years most of the season. Uh, Mike Moustakas was just awful most of the season. Eric Hosmer really struggled the first half. Uh, Billy Butler just struggled, had one of his worst seasons, the worst seasons of his career. And yet all those guys were kind of able to turn it on uh, in September and October to give the Royals the magical run they had last year. So there's a lot of question marks 
going into this year with the offense, and then somehow for the first two weeks, the offense has been amazing this year. Now, a lot of that has been kind of fueled by a high batting average on balls in play, kind of fluky stuff. Paulo Orlando has five triples already this year in his first seven hits, which uh, I don't think that's sustainable at all. But, uh, you know, it's nice to get off to a hot start. It's nice to get off to a lucky start. Uh, I certainly expect the offense to kind of come back to earth here pretty quickly. It'll probably crash, uh, if anything. But uh, but there are signs of encouragement to think that the offense is not as bad as it was last year. And if their offense is a little bit better this year, then I think they have a chance to, to compete because they have that, that, that bullpen that's so good. The rotation is probably a little bit worse than it was last year. Uh, with the loss of James Shields, but if that offense could kind of make up for that for that pitching uh, getting a little bit worse, then I think the Royals can still can still compete for at least a wild card and maybe even the division this year. So I think we've seen some encouraging signs, especially from uh, Mike Nustakis, who looks like a totally different hitter. Uh, and I think that's been kind of key for them is just uh, getting off to the hot start with the bats and and getting things going there that way. Right, and you talk about how you expect that to kind of come back to earth a little bit. You also kind of singled out uh, some of the trouble spots of last year. Mike Moustakis, of course, being one of those, he seems to be off to a really hot start as well. I noticed that uh, even like Lorenzo Cain is starting to hit with a little bit of power in the last couple of weeks. It seems like uh, Hosmer is doing his part. Um, so now that I've given you a couple of names there, I was going to ask the question, I mean, who who is kind of sort of, uh, you know, the, the two or three bright shining stars, who do you think is, uh, truly legit in this situation, and who is just sort of overperforming? Well, um, I think Mike Mustakis has been probably the guy that's opened the most eyes. Uh, just like a couple days before opening day, Ned Yost dropped a bomb on Royals fans and said Mike Mustakis was going to be the number two hitter in the lineup. Uh, he was by far the worst. Well, he was actually tied with Omar Infante, who you guys remember, uh, as being the worst hitter for the team last year. And so that kind of raised a lot of eyebrows. You know, like, Ned, I know you – or, you know, won a pennant last year, but it doesn't mean you can do just any crazy thing you want to do. Uh, but you know what? It's it's worked out, and uh, Mike Moustakis has taken a much different approach this year. Uh, the book on him last year was he is an extreme pull hitter, and so he even mentioned that uh, when, he, when the season started last year, he began seeing those radical defensive shifts, and it just really threw him off. Uh so he's and, – and it kind of affected his season. And I think in the postseason, we started to see him finally start to uh, – try to hit the ball the opposite way. He even laid a button down in the playoffs against the Angels um, which uh, to beat the defensive shift. So I think that kind of got his head, hey, if I try to beat the shift by hitting the ball the opposite way, I may be a more successful hitter and save my career because he's been, really been a disappointing hitter uh, in his career so far. And, and you know what? He looks, he looks completely different. He's hitting the ball with not only is he hitting the ball the other way, he's hitting the ball with some authority. He hit a home run uh, to left center on opening day, and that's just kind of set the tone for his season. He just looks completely different. Uh, is it sustainable? I, I mean, I'm I'm the biggest skeptic on Mike Moustakis there is, and I'm starting to come around and think that this may be for real. And if he can become uh, – I mean, he doesn't have to be a great hitter. You know, as long as he's like a 270 hitter with 20 home runs, with his kind of defense, that's going to be a pretty valuable player for the Royals to have in their lineup. Uh, so I think he may be legit. Uh, Eric Hosmer is another guy. I think you know you kind of saw him turn it on in the postseason last year and show that power. And he's a guy that he had uh, two home runs the first 60 games of the year last year. So he's a guy that can can just really go through power droughts and struggles at times. But um, but then in the second half, the last couple of years, he kind of turned it on. 
so it's kind of encouraging to see him actually hit well in the early part of the season. Uh, and he's drawn a ton of walks lately, which is really encouraging that maybe his, his batting eye is getting a little more uh, discriminating. He can actually uh, is being a more patient hitter up there. Uh, so I'm encouraged by that. Lorenzo Cain is one of my favorite players. I think his batting average of all the play is a little bit – like, he's in like 400 in, on batting average in ball, on balls in play. Uh, he is hitting for a little more power, which if he does that, if he, I mean, if he even becomes like a 10 to 15 home run guy with good gap power, 30 doubles a year, that would be huge. But, you know, I'm, I am I love his glove. If he can hit at all, that's icing on the cake to me. But I think Hosmer and Moustakas are probably the two guys that have really opened my eyes of, you know, if those guys can hit. And this franchise has kind of been, you know, hanging their hat on these guys for a couple of years now, waiting for these guys to to become stars. If they can, and not only, I don't think they have to become stars, but if they can become pretty good, solid major leaguers, above average major leaguers, then I think the Royals really have something there. Now, Hosmer, Mustakis, Kane, we're talking about some of these guys that were with the organization last year, familiar faces to Royals fans this year. Let's kind of step back to the off season for just a second uh, and talk about who's new to the organization. What were some of your favorite moves that the Royals made? Well, it was it was a it was a tough off season because they had some some obvious holes to fill. They had uh, three big departing free agents in James Shields, their staff ace last year, uh, starting uh, designated hitter and longtime uh, Royal Billy Butler, and then uh, starting right fielder Nori Aoki. And the Royals didn't really seem too interested in bringing any of those guys back. That was Shields, I think they they thought early on they couldn't afford him, and I don't I don't think they anticipated the market kind of falling out for him. But um, and for him signing, you know. He signed that reportedly the Royals offered a contract similar to what he ended up signing for in San Diego, uh, but of course you know the, the whole process didn't work out that way. So, um, so I don't think they were interested in bringing him back. Billy Butler has kind of had a friction with the organization for a while, uh, and I don't I don't think they like the, his style of game, uh, kind of being a plotter uh, who doesn't hit a lot of home runs, but he gets on base a lot. Uh, that uh, for whatever reason they don't like that. So. Um, so they didn't. Mm-hmm. They, they weren't too interested in bringing him back, even though he really seemed to want to come back to Kansas City. And in fact, he came back in town last week with the A's, and he had nothing but great things to say about Kansas City and how much he, he really wished he was still there. Which, if I was an A's fan, would have irked me a little bit. But uh, anyway, he did. He he departed to Oakland, and Nori Aoki, I think they felt was was kind of a, a, a bad fit, and he had kind of a bad year last year, so uh, going to come back. So they originally wanted to bring in uh, uh, Tigers right fielder Tory Hunter. I think he was their number one target in this past off season, uh, and he's a guy that they've long coveted just for his uh, leadership. And I think they love his style of game. Uh, but once he decided to go back to Minnesota, I think for a little more, more money than the Royals were offering, uh, they turned to Plan B, which was Alex Rios, uh, which was not a move I was really high on, just because Rios is 34 years old. He's a guy that has looks the part, but kind of always seems to underachieve, or at least is very inconsistent with his track record. He's had some good years, but he's also had some really lousy years. And he was coming off one of those lousy years last year with Texas where he only had four home runs. And this was for a position where the Royals were looking for some power. Uh, so they were kind of banking on him bouncing back. And that was kind of a theme of the off season Because they have so many young guys that are going through the arbitration process, they're their payroll is the highest it's ever been. It's 110 million, I think. Um, but they have some some hefty contract obligations over the next couple of years. These guys, you know, young guys, eventually become expensive guys. So I think they were really reluctant to sign any kind of long-term deals that were going to put them in a crunch. 
Um, so they're looking for guys that are willing to sign one or two year deals. And that was a guy like Alex Rios, who was willing to sign a one year, $11 million deal with the Royals. And they're kind of hoping he would bounce back. Um, they're saying he was injured last year, which is probably true that it did hurt his season quite a bit. And he's gone up to a good season, a good start this season until it got hurt, uh, after getting hit by a pitch, uh, up in Minnesota. So they filled right field with Rios, um, the designated hitter, they decided to take a gamble on Kendris Morales, who was probably one of the worst hitters in the league last year, but he didn't sign until June uh, because of, he was uh, looking for a big deal last year. Uh, so I think they're counting on him, uh, you know, with a full spring training and a full season to get ready, him bouncing back. And he's looked pretty good so far. It's only two weeks, and he got off to a good season last year. Uh, but And I think he's given them what they wanted. That's a guy that can hit some home runs. Doesn't get on base as much as Billy Butler, certainly, but uh, he can hit the ball in the ballpark a little bit more than Billy could. And then in the starting rotation, you're not going to fill James Shields' uh, shoes, I don't think, on the free agent market. So they ended up getting Edison Valquez, who was with Pittsburgh last year. I don't think they expect him to do what Shields did, but I think they're hoping that young guys like Danny Duffy and Jordana Ventura can improve, and that will make up for the difference. Uh, Now, Volquez had a good year last year with Pittsburgh, but he's another guy that's just had a very inconsistent track record. I think he was released the year before that by the Padres, and he kind of struggles to throw strikes at times. Um, But they feel like they can work with his mechanics a little bit, get him to throw strikes, and he has done that so far through his first three starts. He's looked pretty good. Uh, He's relied on his defense a lot, but, but the defense has bailed him out. Um, so, you know, the early signs for all, all three of those are, are fairly encouraging, except for the Rios injury. Uh, I didn't really like their moves, to be honest, in the offseason. I thought all three of those guys uh, did not look to be worth the invest that they made, in, uh, even though they were short-term deals. And they all seemed like kind of, you know, one win above replacement guys at best. But to their credit, so far, the first two weeks, those moves, those moves look pretty good. Um, one, one really underrated under-the-radar move they made was signing Chris Medlin, uh, the former Braves pitcher, who's coming off Tommy John surgery. Uh, he's not going to be ready till June, and he's probably going to pitch out of the bullpen this year. And uh, But I think next year he'll be ready to join the rotation. And he's a guy that, if healthy, uh, can be a three or four wins above replacement pitcher and kind of a, a solid number two or three pitcher they can put in the rotation. And uh, So I'm really excited about what he can do down the road, if he, if he can stay healthy. But uh, so far, the moves have worked out, and uh, I'm I'm willing to be wrong all day about Dayton Moore. That's for sure. <laughs> that's right. Uh, we're talking with Max Reaper, managing editor at RoyalsReview.com, here on the Bless You Boys podcast. Let's dig a little bit deeper, Max, into that uh, issue with the starting rotation. Of course, losing James Shields is kind of a big blow, but you've still got the bullpen from hell as far as the opposition is concerned. Uh, so, does that really make the starting rotation that big of a concern when you know you've got? you know, innings seven, eight, and nine pretty well covered. Yeah, I think there's, I think it mitigates the worries a little bit. I mean, I think the starting rotation is still a concern. I think, uh, I want to say fan graphs or, or, or baseball perspectives or someone's ranked them as the second worst rotation in the league, which may be a little bit of hyperbole, but uh, it's, you know, it's still a concern, but I think you're right. I mean, if you can shorten the game to a six inning game or even, even a five inning game at times, then yeah, I think that, 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 uh, that allows you to maybe, get by with a mediocre starting rotation, which is probably what they have. Uh, and the bullpen, as good as it was last year, I think it gets even deeper this year. I mean, the dirty little secret from last year is that while they had Calvin Herrera, Wade Davis, and Greg Holland in the 7th, 8th, and ninth, they really didn't have a deep pen after that for the, much of the year. 
Uh, the sixth inning was kind of a mess with uh, former all-star Aaron Crow really struggling last year. And that didn't change until uh, midseason in July when they picked up Jason Frazier. And it's really underrated trade from the Texas Rangers. And he's been really lights out ever since the Royals acquired him. And they brought him back as a free agent this year. Um, and then, of course, they in the postseason, they also had Brandon Finnegan, the former uh, the 2014 first-round pick, who added some depth in the bullpen in the postseason. Now, he's in the minors working on being a starting pitcher now. Uh, but uh, So they, they've been able to add depth other, uh, by uh, by bringing back uh, Coach Haver, who uh, missed all of last year with Tommy John surgery, but in 2013 had an ERA under two. Uh, so he provides some more depth. And then they went out and signed Chris Young, who was a comeback player of the year in the league last year, uh, as a starting pitcher. He's going to be the long reliever. And then, and then uh, Ryan Madsen, the former uh, Phillies closer, was just a guy that kind of signed, was you know barely made any, you know, barely made the news. Uh, they signed him as a non-roster invitee, and uh, he hasn't pitched since 2011, and he looks really, he looks pretty sharp. I mean, he's, he's still got that same old changeup that just lights out and just dies off the table. And I don't, you know, he may not stay healthy all the year, but I don't think they need him to be as long as he is able to contribute here and there. Uh, that's a great weapon to have uh, deep in your pen. So it's it's a really stacked bullpen. Um, that uh, I think is going to give Ned Yost a lot of security uh, for the late innings. And, uh, you know, they've, they've been great so far to start the year, and, and it's certainly a nice luxury to have when you're Ned Yost and uh, to look back in that bullpen and see Kelvin Herrera, Wade Davis, and Greg Holland uh, in your bullpen. And it is a stacked bullpen as long as you can keep Kelvin Herrera in it. Uh, but elsewhere <laughs> in News of the Weird – from Major League Baseball, there was a bit of a dust-up with the Oakland A's recently, and Kelvin Herrera uh, has received a, a five-game suspension for throwing at, you have to re- remind me now, it was was it uh, Lowry that he threw at? Yeah, it was Lowry, yeah. He's a, so he's just a kind public of, enemy number one in Kansas City. <laughs> well, okay, better him than me, but uh, what what exactly is going on with this situation? What, why so much bad blood with Oakland all of a sudden? Well, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't. Some of it may stem from the wild card last year. I, I, I doubt it because Oakland only has, like, I think, like seven or eight guys from last year's team still on the roster. But the Royals, for the first two weeks of the year, they've been hit more than any other team except for the Rangers. So they, they've, they've had a lot of hit by pitches. Mo, most of them, I think almost all of them, have been non-intentional. I think the book on the Royals is pitch them inside, get them off the plate. They can't handle the inside pitches. And some of those pitches have, have come too far inside and hit them. So they're, I think they're a little peeved about that. Opening day, Jeff Samarja, I think, obviously plunked Lorenzo Cain after a home run. So I think they're a little peeved about it. And he didn't get tossed, and then there wasn't, there wasn't any repercussions for that. So I think they're a little peeved about that. Last week in, An- in Anaheim, there was some, I don't know why, but there was some dust-up between Jordano Ventura and Mike Trout uh, when Mike Trout got a base hit and ended up scoring. They, they almost got into it. So I, they're, they've been testy all year. So then on last Friday against the Oakland Athletics, there's a Brett Laurie's a runner at first base. There's a force out ground ground out uh, force out play at second base. Lowry comes in hard to second base, spikes up, and takes out Alcides Escobar. Escobar is obviously in pain, uh, had to come out of the game, uh, and the Royals did not take lightly to that. They did not like that one bit, uh, and. So Saturday, the next very next day, of course, Jordan Ventura is on the mound. What happens in Brett Laurie's second at bat? He gets plunked, and the A's don't like that. So, uh, so there were some words uh, after the game. 
the Royals seemed to think it was over. They seemed to think that they had gotten their justice. The A saw differently, I think. The Josh Reddick kind of said, oh, we, may, we might retaliate when we come back to Oakland. He didn't say anything about the Sunday game, but he said, you know, there might be some retaliation down the road. So Sunday, mm-hmm. Lorenzo Cain in the second inning, I think, or first inning, gets plunked by Casimir. Now, I don't think that was intentional. It was, I think it was a breaking ball. It was, the, it was on the foot. Probably not where a guy is going to try to plunk you. But the Royals, understandably, had to, you know, tensions are high. They did not take well to that. So that kind of leads up to the seventh inning where Brett Laurie, or seventh or eighth inning, I think, Brett Laurie comes up, Kelvin Herrera throws him behind his back and sends a message. And as he's you know being escorted off the field, kind of points to his head, he says he was saying, uh, you know, think about it <laughs> because I sent you a message. Lowry interpreted that to mean that's, that it's coming at your head. So we've had, ever since then, we've had a lot of back and forth. Did he throw it his head? Did he not throw it his head? You know, should players, should, should teams even retaliate like that? Uh, is that? Is there a place for that in the game? Is that just something we should get out of the game completely? Uh, so we've had a little bit of Brett Laurie fatigue over here. And, and ever since then, in the last couple of days too, we've had, Brett Laurie is insinuating the Royals' antics have gotten the entire league upset and that people are calling them Bush League. And he decided how he the, the report was that he had cited Albert Pools as agreeing with him. And Albert Pools is a Kansas City native. Uh, Pools had to call him just later on and said, no, 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 I never said that. That must have been misinterpreted. Laurie finally came back and said, yeah, that was taken out of context. I didn't mean Pools had said that. We're getting into silly. It's, it's like in the silly season now. I just, I think every angle of the story has been beaten to death. I mean, what it comes down to, I think the Royals—they're very demonstrative on the field. They're young. They're kind of young guys. They like to do the hand gestures. They like to whoop it up and celebrate. They like to talk a little bit. Um, you know, which for a team that's never had success and is having success for the first time, you might expect that. Um, that has gotten under the skin of some teams. I, that's understandable. Uh, the retaliation thing. I mean, I'm on the side of usually of, I mean, it's silly. It gets guys suspended. It gets guys hurt. I'd rather that not be part of the game. That being said, I mean, it's their, you know, they're the team. They're the ones that have to deal with it. If that's what they feel like they have to do to be a unit and feel like they got each other's back, I kind of get it. But at the same point, at the same time, I don't want anyone throwing it in anyone's head. And it's debatable whether he threw at his head or threw you know, intentionally through just behind him just so he knew he wouldn't hurt him. But it's been a whole thing, and hopefully we won't see anything more uh, about this. The Royals don't go to Oakland until June, and hopefully it'll kind of blow over by then. But, I mean, who knows? This could drag out all year. (laughs) Yeah, and I'm certainly rooting for that because the one upshot of this, of course, I think, is that maybe the national networks will start paying attention to the A's-Royals rivalry and we'll get a few more A's-Royals games on the, you know, ESPN and MLB Network instead of the you know continual Red Sox Yankees game. So for for that you know I have to, I have to thank the Royals profusely and, and just hope that it goes that way. Uh, we're talking here with Max Reaper, the managing editor at RoyalsReview.com, here in the Bless You Boys podcast. And uh, Max, before we let you go, just one more question: um, As you and I talked in in the podcast uh, for the Royals Review earlier about Brad Osmus and what he's doing this year and what people think of him. I've got to ask you about Ned Yost because he was seemingly public enemy number one 
for a good chunk of last year for some of his bullpen management decisions for uh, bunting too often. So tell me, do people still not feel so great about him? Has he changed his management style? Or is it just the fact that, uh, you know, you're winning games and people are willing to forgive and forget as long as you're winning? I am shocked at how much the perception of him has changed. I mean, as late as September last year, we were writing articles about how he needs to be fired, and we were getting a lot of people agreeing with us. Even in the postseason, there was, you know, why is Ned Bunny bunning so much? The wild card game, when he brought in Jordana Ventura on two days rest to come in relief and had him give up a home run to Brandon Moss. I mean, people were, you know, yelling uh, that Ned was an idiot, and rightfully so. I mean, it was kind of a stupid move. Um, and, you know, he had he had some kind of, you know, questionable calls in the postseason. He had he bond a lot. Uh, you know, he, it was, most of his bullpen, the way he handled the bullpen was, was okay. I think he had a quick hook for the starters, which is pretty good. Um, but, you know, there was a story that he walked into a restaurant in Kansas City, I think just after the postseason, and got a standing ovation, which you would, that was, that would have been <laughs> unthinkable you know, for a couple weeks prior to that. Uh, and we we actually posted a, a, an approval poll story uh, earlier this week, and I asked people, hey, how do you, do you approve of the job Ned Yost is, done, is doing this year? And uh, 95% of the people said yes, which that stunned me. <laughs> I mean, I I knew that the, the the perception had changed, but I didn't know it had changed that much. And so, I, you know, I think part of it is that the people know that Ned Yost is pretty good at handling this particular clubhouse. I mean, I think that's probably – I think every fan base – in baseball complains about the way their their manager handles the bullpen, handles starting lineups, bunts, doesn't bunt, you know, whatever, tactics. They they always question the managers. Everyone everyone thinks their manager is the worst at tactics. Uh, and, and, and there's probably a lot to criticize with the way a lot of managers, particularly the ones that are kind of old school, do tactics. But, you know, probably one of the car, things that's harder to quantify and maybe more important is how a manager handles his clubhouse. And I think Ned Yost has handled this clubhouse really well. I think he's got a, a good mix of guys. I think they get along really well. I think he knows just when to kind of give a guy a break, except for Salvador Perez. <laughs> he never seems to want to rest. But he knows when to kind of get guys in, not you know, get guys some action, handle their playing time. Uh, he seems to have the respect. They seem to like him a lot. Uh, I think he's got a really good uh, uh, coaching staff underneath him. I think Rusty uh, Koontz is one of the most underrated assistant coaches in the game. Uh, he's really been huge with their defense and base running. But, you know, the other stuff, it, it, it's also, you seem like a really good manager when you have a really good bullpen behind you. I mean, the, the, you know, managers get blamed a lot for bullpen implosions, and a lot of times it's not their fault. They just have crummy relievers to deal with. Ned Yost has awesome relievers to deal with, so he doesn't blow a lot of leads, and so he's not going to get a lot of criticism for that. So I think, you know, it's it's really amazing to me, though, how much the perception has changed of him. Uh, I mean, he still doesn't even have a winning record as a manager uh, in Kansas City or otherwise. But, um, you know, I think people really appreciate, you know, what he's done for the team and, and how he handles the, uh, the team now. And, and uh, you know, especially after last weekend with the Brett Lurie thing, he, he really seemed to have the guys back, and, and he got ejected in the Sunday game after uh, Lorenzo Cain was hit. So, uh, yeah, Ned Jost, it's it seems crazy to say, but he might have a catch side of Kauffman Stadium Sunday, which just, I mean, just, Nine months ago, that seemed like a crazy thing to say. So, good good for Ned. <laughs> Best of luck, Ned. So, at the end of the season, Max, is it the Royals that win the division while the Tigers get the wild card or vice versa? 
Well, you know, before the season, I I was on the Cleveland Indians bandwagon. I mean, I, I you know, up until I saw the Sports Illustrated cover, I guess. But, I mean, I thought the Indians were legit. They had good young hitters in the prime of their career with Carlos Santana and Michael Brantley and Jason Kipnis and Jan Gomez, Gomes. And, I mean, they just look, and they have the, the pitching staff that just strikes out so many hitters. And Trevor Bauer and Danny Salazar and Corey Kluber, I thought they were going to possibly even run away with the division and they've, you know, they haven't been terrible or anything and they still could be right in the mix, but I mean, Detroit and Kansas City have just gotten off to such a great start. It's kind of hard to see how Cleveland can make that up and, you know, for a while at least. Um, but I don't know. I don't, you know, Detroit's, Detroit's the, you know, the, the champs right now in the division at least. And I think you guys got, uh, you're at least, you you, you the moves that Dave Rodorowski made, I think we talked about this on the podcast. I mean, they're just they're extremely underrated moves. I mean, getting Shane Green from the Yankees was a huge move. Getting um, uh, Jose Iglesias back for you guys, that's going to be huge as well. Anthony Ghost is a guy I've loved for the Blue Jays for a long time, and I'm glad he's finally getting a chance kind of to play every day. He's been he's been tremendous. So, um, I, I you know I think the, I, I like the Indians before the season. I think now I probably have to adjust that just because they're so far behind the Tigers. I'd say the Tigers are probably the team to beat. I'm still a little skeptical of the Royals just because and the, like the offense, if they've been riding high on this offense and it's not, it's going to crash pretty soon. It, it'll be better, I think, than last year. I think the Royals will be in the mix, uh, but probably they're, I think they're going to be more in the mix for the wild card. But So I, I still like the Tigers, I guess, at this point, um, until someone proves otherwise uh, because, I mean, they're just a well-run team. I, you know, Dombrowski, I think I trust him in July if they're in it to, to make a good move to put the Tigers over the top if that's what it takes. So uh, I like the Tigers, but, uh, you know, it may not, you know, just because you win the division now, I guess we, we've seen that doesn't mean that necessarily mean the Royals can't go out and uh, go back to the World Series. But, uh, you know, we'll see. It'll be a, it was a fun it was a fun divisional race last year for us, and, and uh, I'm really looking forward to another fun divisional race this year. And if indeed, as you predicted, uh, sort of behind the scenes, I know off, off the air we were talking – a couple of weeks ago, um, that uh, if, if the Tigers and Royals do end up facing each other in the ALCS, then I think you and I will have to get together for a, a good couple of podcasts here and just kind of go at it. Uh, Max, uh, we really appreciate you joining us, taking the time. Where can our listeners find you online? Yeah, we're we're at uh, we're on the SB Nation, uh, just like you guys. We're at www.royalsreview.com, and you can also follow us on Twitter at Royals Review. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for having me on the show. It was a lot of fun. All right, we will catch up with you next time. All right, thanks. All right, that was Max Reaper, the managing editor at RoyalsReview.com. And uh, shifting gears a little bit, Rob, are you still there? Yeah, uh, I got to say, I'm pretty impressed with Max there. Either he's not watching the Royals game right now, or he is incredibly, incredibly composed. Because right as you were talking about that whole dust-up with the A's, uh, yep. Last weekend, uh, the Royals and White Sox just got into a huge brawl with five or six ejections. <laughs> this, so this is what happens be, when we pop. There will be plenty more at Royals Review tomorrow, or uh, whenever you're oh. listening to this, uh, about that brawl and everything that stems from it this weekend. So be sure to check that out. Figure I'll give Max one last plug there. There you go. Always the best for our guests. So, Rob, the Tigers are just coming off a rather disappointing losing streak, dropping the series with the Yankees, uh, you know, one to three. Um, a couple of questions come to mind um, as we kind of recap this this week in Tigers baseball. 
what is going on with David Price? Uh, we noticed this pattern last year that he seemed to be doing this kind of uh, one good game, one bad game, one good game, one bad game. That it was just a weird little pattern last year. Of course, he only pitched you know half the season last year, but now coming into 2015, he's doing it again. He comes out on opening day against the Twins, pitches eight and two-thirds innings, gives up no runs. He comes out the next outing against the Indians and only manages to go five and two-thirds innings, and uh, there's three unearned runs. His next outing against the White Sox, again, eight innings, just one earned run, nine strikeouts. Great outing. And then, just most recently, comes back out against the Yankees, only manages to go two and a third innings, gives up eight earned runs. What is going on with David Price? Why the up and down? Sorry, I got stuck on mute there for a minute. Um, I, you, uh, you know, I'm really not too concerned about Price yet. Um, like you said, he's had two great starts so far. Um, he had one start in Cleveland that was – you know, okay, but he still ended up, I think he still ended up with a quality start there, getting uh, through six innings while only allowing three earned runs. Um, you know, his mechanics looked a little off that day. His command was a little off. He walked a few guys, which is fairly unusual for him. But um, Cleveland ranks among the best teams in the American League as far as the number of pitches they see uh, per at-bat. So I think part of that is just the offense he faces. You know, they're a, a tough bunch to get through that order a few times. Um, and they finally got to him that third time through the order uh, with a, a couple of their righties big in, uh, in key spots. Um, and then, you know, I'm I'm willing to write that last outing against the New York Yankees off as just a kind of a, a fluke, um, you know, with the with with the weather we saw the you know the snow globe game if you want to call it that. Um, mm. But you know, with both pitchers giving up, you know crooked numbers in the first inning. I I think that they were just having a tough time getting a feel for anything out there. Um, and, you know, it's tough playing baseball in that weather, both hitting and pitching. But if you can't uh, feel – if you can't even feel the ball to command your pitches, the hitters are definitely going to have an advantage. Uh, and I'm I'm thinking that that's just kind of, when, kind of what happened with Price that night. So the, the back and forth is just kind of a fluke. It's not really a, a pattern that we can expect to see going forward. I don't think so. Um, you know, you may get a little bit of that from time to time. And I think the only reason we notice some of it is because, you know, when he does have those good outings, they are amazing, amazing outings. You know, he'll go eight innings and give up no runs or one run. So, you know, he gives up a couple runs and we all panic and say, what's going on? What's wrong with David Price? Um, you know, I think he's going to be fine. You know, his ERA is still in the low threes right now, even after that awful start against the Yankees. Um, so I think he'll he'll come back with a, a couple of good starts going forward, and I think we'll be able to kind of put this rumor to rest. Yeah, well, I suppose it wasn't realistic to expect that he would finish the season with that ERA under one. So as you pointed out, he's uh, even after giving up all those runs, still sitting pretty uh, in a pretty situation. Um, but still in that starting rotation, uh, there's this question surrounding Anibal uh, Sanchez as well, who has struggled in his last two outings. I mean, not counting uh, just this this uh, afternoon's again we're recording on Thursday and he pitched today against the Yankees and did uh, seem to do you know quite well but the two outings prior to that gave up 14 earned runs he gave up five home runs in those two games combined uh, which is especially strange considering he only gave up four home runs all year in 2014 uh, do you have any insights as to what's happening with the elevated home run rate um, you know in those just the the, the weird outing for those two those two games 
I'm not really sure what exactly has happened with that uh, elevated home run rate. Um, Anibal has always been good about limiting home runs, even throughout his entire career. Um, you know, granted, he's pitched in a couple very pitcher-friendly ballparks in Detroit and also in uh, the old Marlin Stadium when he was there. Um, but he's always been good about limiting home runs and, you know, making opposing teams uh, string hits together to, to beat him. Um, you know, so it was definitely surprising to see him give up so many home runs in those last couple starts, especially in a couple of bigger ballparks like in Detroit and Pittsburgh. Um what I had read is that I didn't get the chance to see today's game, but what I had read is that, you know, he was having some mechanical issues and that him and Brad Ausmus and Jeff Jones had kind of diagnosed the problem. Um, and it appears that this, he had been a lot better at it today. Um, you know, he gave up a few a few walks, but struck out eight and pitched really well and really seemed to match uh, Tanaka from the Yankees uh, pitch for pitch. Uh, they left... I think he left the game with it still tied at one. So it's definitely an encouraging start from him, even though the Tigers didn't get the win. Yeah, I didn't get a chance to actually watch the game today either. Again, we are recording on Thursday, um, even though we're broadcasting on Saturday. Uh, so, you know, I was at work and didn't get to see it, uh, but I was kind of following along a little bit with the, you know, people on Twitter that were kind of live tweeting the game. And it, like you said, it seemed like he was matching Tanaka you know, pitch for pitch, he did go, I want to say, seven innings, I think. And, the, of course, the eight strikeouts was a really good sign. Uh, if only he hadn't balked in that that dying run. A very strange scenario. But it'll be interesting to see if uh, Sanchez is back on track and maybe if those couple of outings there were just kind of a weird fluke. Although I know uh, it seems like people are saying he struggled with that same elevated home run rate in spring training. So does that give you any you know extra pause for concern? Um, yes and no. You know, it's, it definitely shows you that it's not just kind of this uh, little two-start stretch where he gave up a couple home runs and everything's going to be fine after that. Um, it really indicates that there was something going on there. But at the same time, you know, with him getting through today's outing against, a you know, a decent lineup, um, you know, relatively unscathed, I think that's a good sign going forward. So it's kind of just a wait-and-see approach at this point. Um, it'll definitely be something the Tigers have to keep an eye on throughout the season. But I think that he'll be in good shape. You know, he's got a long track record of pitching very well. So I don't think, you know, two starts or even a handful of starts, including the spring training ones, is uh, something to get too worked up about, too worked up about just yet. All right. We're talking with Rob Jackie, our own managing editor here at BlessYouBoys.com. The big news breaking today, uh, Rob, uh, was – of course, the the news that Joe Nathan is going to have to have sounds like another Tommy John surgery. He is done for the season, possibly done for his career. Uh, it's it's a stunner, really. Um, I mean, we knew he was injured, but it sounded like he was making great progress in his rehab and then this major, major setback. Uh, so now what? And now the Tigers are down an arm in the bullpen, maybe not the best arm. So from a stats point of view, it's not like, oh, we're losing a, a bullpen ace, but you know, that's got to bring some kind of concerns with it. So uh, what's what happens going forward? It definitely brings some concerns with it. Um, you know, I think even a subpar Joe Nathan, not necessarily the guy we saw last year, but, you know, a guy that is, you know, 70, 80% of the amazing reliever he used to be would still be one of the better relievers in the Tigers system. Um, so I definitely think it's a loss for the Tigers from that standpoint. Um, on opening day, you know, he only pitched to Torrey Hunter, but looked decent in that outing. Um, I know spring training 
he didn't look too good. But there are a lot of players that have not looked good in spring training. Uh, just look at what Jose Iglesias did and what he's doing now. Um, so you can't read too much into that. Um, as far as what the Tigers do going forward, you know, that's tough to say. Um, they're at the point now where there aren't really any any relief arms out on the uh, out on the free agent market, or at least not anyone you would want to sign at this point. Um, you know, and it's tough to say what the trade market will look like this early in the season. Uh, we may be at the point where the Tigers have to go shopping at the trade deadline again. And as we've seen over the last few years, those arms are starting to get more and more expensive each and every season. Uh, the Tigers had to give up two of their best prospects last year just to get Joaquin Soria. Um, and I can I can imagine that, especially with other teams seeing the predicament that the Tigers are in. And if that bullpen starts to uh, struggle at all, I think teams will jack up their rates even more if the Tigers come calling. Yeah, it's, uh, you're absolutely right about that. Uh, it, I think the other teams can see when the Tigers are in need in that in that way. The the, the problems in the bullpen are just so uh, patently obvious, and you know it seems like they're starting to surface again, even a little bit uh, this week. Uh, I'm going back to uh, the, again the series with the Yankees when Price had to leave the game early, and there was another game. Um, I think it was the game that Kyle Lobstein started. Uh, you know where the bullpen came out and ended up giving up a lot of runs, making the game, you know, basically putting the game out of reach. So it seems like, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Rob, but it seems like the bullpen is kind of in the same situation this year as it was last year, with the exception that you actually have a closer, at, you know, for the ninth inning. Yeah, I do think it is kind of the same. Um, you know, definitely Joaquin Soria is a, is a big upgrade over what Joe Nixon provided last year. Um, but other than that, you've got a lot of uncertainty, um, you know, with Joaquin with Soria stepping into the uh, into the closer's role, you've got a lot of uncertainty in that eighth inning. Um, and it, funny enough, it may be that Jabba Chamberlain is going to start taking that over again. Um, he's looked good throughout his first few outings. I think he still has yet to allow a run this season. Um, you know, and for the majority of 2014, he pitched fairly well in that role. So I wouldn't be opposed to the Tigers uh, trying him out in that role, or really anyone that they can get to uh, to fill that role capably. Um, I think Tom Gorzolani has looked okay. He did give a run today, but, uh, you know, that'll happen from time to time, and it was really just the circumstances of it with it being a tie game that, that was unfortunate. You know, if the Tigers had been up by three or down by three, we would have, you know, we wouldn't have given that outing a second look. But, you know, it was unfortunate they had to give up the run that they did that when he did, and then the Tigers had to go through the Yankees' two-headed bullpen monster uh, and they obviously weren't able to put together a run. Um, you know, there are other, you know, and beyond those two, I'm really kind of concerned about what the bullpen has to offer. Um, Al Albuquerque's fastball velocity has been down, and he hasn't looked far this year. Um, Ian Kroll obviously just got optioned to the minors after not pitching too well. So he's uh, he's going to be out of commission for a little while. Um, you know, and other than that, you know, you've got some really untested arms in Angel Nesbitt or Angel Nesbitt. Um, uh, you know, he's kind of the main one. He's looked okay so far, but like I said, he's very untested. So we'll see what he provides and if he can step into a larger role as the season progresses. And one of the options that uh, you mentioned, Ian Kroll, uh, being sent back to Toledo, uh, that the Tigers are looking at now, uh, they've brought up Alex Wilson, who was part of that uh, trade with the uh, the Red Sox to get Ioannis Cespedes uh, for Rick Porcello. 
his results so far in Toledo have been really, really good. He's five and a third innings pitched. He's only given up four hits, no runs, which gives him a great ERA of zero. He's only walked one batter. He's uh, perfect in three saves and three opportunities. And he's got a sparkling whip of 0.94 with a K per nine rate of eight and a half. Uh, all good numbers, but uh, what can you expect? What should we expect as he makes the transition from Toledo to Detroit? Well, I imagine he'll probably give up a run at some point in Detroit, so I don't expect that ERA to stay the same. Um, but I think the low walk rate is something we can kind of expect from him going forward. Um, you know, in 28 innings with the with the Red Sox last season, he only walked five batters. Um, it seems that he has had pretty good command throughout his time in the minor leagues. Um, you know, the walk rate has jumped up occasionally, but his last few years, uh, he's been okay. Um, and I had read reports that in during 2013, when he debuted with the Red Sox, his numbers weren't too great, but he was also battling a thumb injury at that point and said that he couldn't throw his cut fastball, which appears to be his best pitch. Um, you know, so that he was finally healthy in 2014. And it really seemed like since he was able to start throwing that pitch again, he really took off. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see. Um, it seems like he will rely on his defense a bit more than the, the usual uh, high-octane, you know, mid-90s fastball throwing relievers that the Tigers like to have. Um, you know, but with the defense they've got behind him, that's not necessarily a bad thing anymore. Uh, so if he can limit the walks, which has absolutely killed the Tigers so far, you know, he could be an effective arm for them. Yeah, certainly having a, re- a reliever come out of the pen that will limit the walks would be a breath of fresh air. Well, Rob, that is just about going to do it. I certainly appreciate you taking the time to stop by and talk with us uh, this late on a Thursday night, and I'm sure our listeners appreciate it as well. Um, enjoy the game on Saturday. Thank you. Looking forward to it. All right. We'll catch up with you later. Take care. All right. And that is going to do it for another episode of the Bless You Boys podcast. Thanks again to Max Reaper and Rob Rojacki for joining us. You can find Max at RoyalsReview.com and on Twitter at RoyalsRetro. You can find Rob at BlessYouBoys.com and on Twitter at BYBRob. And you can follow me on Twitter at HookSlideBYB or get in touch with me at HookSlideBYB at gmail.com. Always happy to hear from our listeners. And that'll be all from the virtual studio in West Michigan. We will see you next Saturday at 10 o'clock on the next Bless You Boys podcast. There's never been a corner like Michigan and Trumbull. Ha ha ha, that'll get him out of the old ballpark.